But anyways, the beginning was that my father needed the tool. I ended up building something. But then other farmers saw this tool as well and said, hey, they would like to start using it. And that was when it clicked that it could grow into a business. In the European Union, we have this ETS emission trading system or quotas. We have some portion of CO2 that we have agreed it is okay to emit by big corporations. And then these big companies are trading for those quotas. But if you buy a quota, then it doesn't mean that you are now carbon neutral. It only means you buy allowance to emit. But the first step and main step should be reducing emissions. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to Mission First, the podcast to learn from successful entrepreneurs changing the world for the better. Do you want to save time by avoiding making the same mistakes that lots of entrepreneurs have already done? Then make sure to follow this podcast because you are going to get actionable strategies coming directly from those who have found product market fit and are scaling up fast. Think about it as a masterclass about product innovation, business models, leadership, and growth marketing. I know that for you, entrepreneurs like me, your time is limited. You love to learn, but you don't always have the time to listen to the long episodes of this podcast. So I decided to create a new format. I still record a long interview to learn a lot from my guests, but we edit it and release it into a series with shorter episodes. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email and let me know if you prefer that format. The Kyoto Protocol of 1997 and the Paris Agreement of 2015 came with new regulations and new challenges for companies and the economy. New challenges nearly always produce new markets, and the ongoing climate crisis and rising global emissions are no exception. In today's mini-series, my guest is Robin Sadwax, CEO of eAgronom. He has brilliantly taken advantage of the situation while having a tremendous positive impact on this planet. The farmers he is helping are sequestrating more than 100,000 tons of CO2 per year. That is more or less the emissions of 58,000 cars every year that is saved thanks to its carbon program and it's growing 30% month on month. Robin with the e-agronome has 72 full-time employees, less than half in Estonia. They've raised a series A round of $7 million and they are growing very, very quickly. In this first part of this mini-series with Robin, we will explain the difference between carbon credits and being carbon neutral and explore what's the role of my guest on the road to net zero. Robin, thank you very much for being here with us today. How are you? Thank you. Glad to be here. Me too. I'm really happy to welcome you today. So let's start with your mission. Can you tell us a bit more about what's your mission with eAgronom? We are bringing economic benefits to sustainable farmers. And the good news is that farmers, they would be happy to change practices to are more sustainable. But the thing is, it has to be already short-term profitable for them. All farmers know that in the long run, it's really good to apply these practices and they improve soil. You have to put less fertilizers, your plants are healthier and so on. But farmers have uh, short-term liabilities already. So they have to pay loans every year. And therefore, their practice changes have to be short-term profitable. I guess another good news is that there are a bunch of stakeholders who are happy to incentivize sustainable farmers. Like there are some companies ready to pay to farmers to sequester their CO2 emissions in the soil, meaning offsetting their emissions. 
banks are already giving better terms if you go and buy electric car. They are happy to give better terms to sustainable farmers as well. Food companies, almost all of the big ones, have sustainability targets for their value chain. And landlords are happy to incentivize farmers taking good care of their soil and their land. But all of those stakeholders lack the ability to verify the emissions in the farm and to verify which farmers are sustainable and which farmers are not. So this is where we come in and this is what we do. We help to verify the emissions in the farm and by doing it, bringing those economic benefits to sustainable farmers together with our partners. On one side, with this carbon program, you have carbon credits for farmers, so they can basically get paid for improving their soils. And on the other side, you allow people to, or companies to buy carbon credits and to support sustainable farming. And then the third part is the global network of partners that you try to have. I grew up in the countryside, but I'm not a farmer myself, and I know that's very hard work. So can you explain us a bit with, with your carbon program, what you exactly do for the farmers? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest carbon banks, so-called, let's call it carbon bank, is soil. So there is more carbon stored in the soil than there's carbon stored in plants. So usually if you think, okay, where the carbon is, we think they're in the trees and etc. And that's true, but there's more carbon in soil. And probably many people have heard the term humus. So humus is the richest part of the soil and 40% of this is carbon. So if you are talking about creating carbon credits in farm, then we are talking about farming in a way that would increase the humus balance. So sequestering more carbon in the soil so that in the future there will be less CO2 in the atmosphere. And now we go back to this, I don't know if it's elementary school or slightly later, the biology lessons and quick reminders up from there about photosynthesis. So um, how soil is created is that there are plants growing and with photosynthesis, this is what they need for growth. They're sequestering CO2 and they are releasing O2 and they're storing C, so they're storing carbon inside the plant. And then when the plant is dying, the bacterias are kind of eating the plant and partly CO2 is released back to the atmosphere and partly this carbon is turned into the soil. Now you might ask, hey, like, isn't this what all farmers are doing already? And why should we then pay to farmers for doing it? And that's true. Now the carbon credit is something that farmers do on top of those common practices. So it's something they do extra to sequester even more carbon. This additionality criteria is super important in the carbon credit world, meaning that farmer didn't do the activity before, meaning also that it's not a common practice or the set of practices is not common in the region. So less than 20% of the farmers are adopting those. And then thirdly, it is also not required by law for this farmer to do those practices. So it, it has to be an additional practice that farmers are doing to sequester more carbon in the soil. So one side, for example, is to help them optimize the use of fertilizers and the fuel they're using to do these things. So are you directly advising them on that part? Or do you work with people who do that? Yeah, well, both actually. So we started with the direct sales model. So we have our own sales teams in Estonia, Latvia, Poland. That was really good to get started because it showed us what the people on the field have to go through. But now we're looking for local partners. 
local companies who already have the farmer network and then bringing this opportunity to farmers. And these partners have to have their own agronomists also on the payroll. And then we, we are educating their team on um, how to create carbon credits in the farm, how to improve the soil and what kind of benefits it has. Because actually in the long run, the carbon credit is only a small part of the benefits and bigger benefits are improved soil and less the savings from fuel usage and savings from fertilization usage. But in the short run, the carbon credit helps to cover the extra cost. When you talk about carbon credits, this is something that I'm pretty new on my side with. So would you mind explaining us the difference between carbon credits and carbon offsetting, for example? Because I think these terms are used very often and misused very often. Yeah. Well, one carbon credit is equal to at least one ton of additionally removed CO2 from the atmosphere. And if companies buy this credit, then they want to be sure that it is true. So then there are also some verifiers who uh, have a set of rules. They're called methodologies and you have to follow them and then they check if you actually follow those rules. And these are quite tough rules all about what is considered additional, like we discussed before. Also uh, avoiding leakage. So your activities should not do harm to any other uh, things. Like uh, let's say if all farmers in Germany will start growing trees on the fields, then that would sequester more carbon, but then someone else should grow food for German people. And uh, in some other place, some trees should be cut. So that's called leakage. So we should avoid that. Then the permanence, we should make sure that the carbon is sequestered in the soil. Well, ideally for 100 years, but this is quite difficult to prove. So 30 years is more like an approach that we can take. And then carbon offsetting is using those credits you offset your emissions. But another thing, something that people also misunderstand in the European Union, we have this carbon emission, ETS emission trading system or quotas. And quotas, they are um, allow ones to emit. So uh, we have some portion of CO2 that we have agreed in the European Union that it, it is okay to emit by big corporations, big companies like energy, power plants, and etc. And then every year we are reducing this amount. And then these big companies are trading for those quotas. But if you buy a, a quota, then it doesn't mean that you are now carbon neutral. It only means you buy allowance to emit. At the same time, if you buy enough carbon credits to offset your emissions, then you can call yourself as carbon neutral. The important point is, and we always tell it to our credit buyers as well, the first step is to reduce emissions. And then offsets should be used for remaining emissions. But the first step and main step should be reducing emissions. That should be the first step for all of us, right? Reducing our emissions and then thinking about how we can offset what's excessive. If you are busy and might not have the time to listen to all episodes of this podcast, just a little tip. Sign up for my newsletter on gtimpact.com. You will receive the summary of advice from each episode and you will get personal recommendations on which episode you should focus on depending on your current challenges, your industry and your startup stage. Have a nice day.